The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. We're going to be looking in the book of Acts, all right? Now, what I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to get to talk to you tonight and in the morning and uh, to Pitts Baptist Wilderness Outfitters, and uh, we're going to be looking both for both sessions. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13. So if you have your Bible and you want to look at Acts chapter 13, and let me give you an idea of where we're at. In fact, let me give you kind of an overall picture of the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is actually part two of one of the Gospels. Do you guys know what part, who wrote it? Do you know who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. That's right. So, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Andy's trying to feed answers. I see how it is. Goodness. Kids these days. He didn't trust you. Yeah. You haven't. Well, the problem is, maybe you have to be trustworthy. Yeah, see... Uh, uh, we're going to be talking in the book of Acts. We're in Acts 13. So in Acts, Acts is really cool. So when Luke, Luke writes the story of Jesus, right? From, the, from Jesus, right before Jesus' birth, all the way through um, his death, burial, and his resurrection. And then, he's, then he, when he starts Acts, he says, you know, I wrote to you earlier about this, and I'm going to finish it. And what's really cool is that um, Luke is just a really cool writer because he gives us he basically gives us an outline for the book of Acts. And he, he, uses, um, he uses the words of Jesus in Acts 1.8. says that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And you, be, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so um, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at Paul's first sermon. His first and longest recorded sermon that we have. And it's in Acts 13. And where this comes into play is the gospel has made it to Jerusalem. And then it's been in Judea, and then it's spread to Samaria, and then God commissions the Apostle Paul to take it to the ends of the earth, which is awesome. And then we're going to see the beginning of that right now. In fact, hey, will you just go ahead and put that map up? Look, it's a map. If I were really cool right now, I'd have a laser pointer, but I don't. Um, Okay, so right here... Can you see what that says? Yep. And then the, and then you can see right here? Judea. Yeah. Okay. So what happens? And then Samaria is just outside here. And then what happens? This is really cool. So the, so Paul is leaving at the beginning of this chapter 13. He's leaving from up here. That's where he's leaving in Antioch. And then he goes and we follow the blue line. He goes to Cyprus and then he goes up here. See it? Pamphylia. You see Pamphylia and then Perga. Can you see that? All right. Let me tell you why this is super cool. Because what we're seeing in the middle of the book of Acts is the fulfillment of Acts. You guys remember like Israel is just a little tiny. It's just a little tiny nation right here. It's really tiny. But God does something in Jerusalem when Jesus is resurrected from the dead. 
and a movement that starts here that we see spread up here. And then now, this is what's awesome, is you guys maybe, maybe can recognize this whole part here. This is, do you know what modern country this is? I'll give you a hint. It's also a lunch meat. Oh, yeah, good job. So that's Turkey, in case you're wondering. All right, so this is where we're at right now. Um, and what's, and we might come back to this. You don't, you can, you can, you can get rid of it for right now. Fade it out. All right. And so where we are now in the book of Acts is God has called Paul. And you guys remember Paul, right? You guys, what do we know about Paul? He was an apostle. What else? Say that again. Yep, on the road to Damascus, he's, yeah, Andy, he's not going to, he wrote, yeah, wrote like a third of the New Testament, good job, the most books even, yeah, and he was, so Paul was raised as a really good Jew, he was so, he was so good at being Jewish that he hated Christianity, because there was this guy, Jesus, who claimed to be God, and if you're Jewish, I mean, that's blasphemy, Claiming to be God? That's crazy. And so he was trying to persecute anybody who believed in Jesus. He actually went and asked for letters from Jerusalem so that he could go and get people and beat them up and put them in jail. And whenever he would put, he would put them in jail and then sometimes they would go before the Jewish leaders and they would sentence them to death. And he was part of the, the basically the jury that would, that would vote against them go to, so that they would die for the sake of the name of Jesus. All right, and then Paul sees Jesus on the road and is radically changed. He goes, I mean, he is literally on his way to persecute Christians. Jesus meets him and he... He changes 100%. Okay, awesome. So that's where we're at. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a pretty lengthy passage. And this, because we're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to go through 43. And then tonight, we're only going to get through the first part of it, and tomorrow we're going to finish it. And what I really want to talk to you about tonight is I want us to understand that God is totally sovereign. All right, now that's a really cool Christian Bible word. But when I say that God is sovereign, what does that mean? Anybody? He's in control. Yeah. In fact, we would use the term sovereign to talk about a king. A king that, was, that is in charge of everything. And when we talk about the sovereignty of God, what we mean by that is that God is 100% completely in charge. He is in control of everything, even really bad things that happen, God is still sovereignly watching over and he takes bad things and makes them glorious, right? I mean, even when we think about the apostle Paul, the apostle Paul was raised as a really good Jew, right? And he studied, he probably had the most of the old Testament memorized before he became a Christian, He'd been, he'd been raised by these guys who were really good at rhetoric and speaking and teaching. And he was using it against Christianity. And then God saved him and used all of that to spread his gospel. All right, so this is huge. And what we're going to do is in his sermon, what Paul does is he walks through the, the history of God's people and shows how God from the beginning was promising that he would save us. 
And then even when things looked terribly bleak for God's people, God was still in control and he was still using all of that. He, had, it ne- he was never out of control and he used all of that for his glory to present the gospel to us. So let me read, uh, starting in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos. Oh, sorry, I'll tell you this beginning of the journey. So you we're not reading the first part of Acts 13. Acts 13 starts in Antioch where we had earlier on the screen. Don't change it. This is what I want. You know, I'm not, you've got it. He started in Antioch. The, the church there said, let's send out some people. So the Holy Spirit set apart Paul and Barnabas, which is awesome because the Holy Spirit just told them that's who needs to go. Then they go to that little island, Cyprus. Then they see a lot of people come to faith in Jesus, even like government leaders. Really cool. And then they leave from there. There we go. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, which is on Cyprus, that little tiny island. And he came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. We're going to come back to that. John, you guys... We'll come back to that. John bailed. Verse 14. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch. This is a different Antioch. Antioch in um, Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, All right, now this is his sermon. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, a man whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the, in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God brought to Israel a savior, Jesus As he promised before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to to, uh, all the people of Israel. This is a different John. This is John the Baptist. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as, the, as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the sure and the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David 
after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, that means he died, and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from every... from from which you could be freed from the from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses beware therefore lest what is said about the prophets should come about look scoffers be astounded and perish for i'm doing a work in your days a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you as they went out the people of the people begged that these things might be told them the next sabbath and after the and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. All right, so this is a sermon, and and I'll tell you this: this most likely is an abbreviated version of the sermon that Paul preached, right? Because that took me about three minutes to read it, and I'm sure that he preached for more than that. But this is what God has preserved for us to have from His Word. All right, now. There's a couple things that I want to talk through as we look at this idea of God's sovereignty. And, and in fact, we're, we're not going to get much into that sermon tonight because there's so much even before this that I want to work through. Like, for instance, when we look in verses 13 through, through 15, before, we start preach, before he starts preaching, we see this conflict that takes place in the body of Christ. All right? It's, it's real subtle. Remember when they were, when they were getting ready? Um, when they set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, it's just, at this point, this seems, okay, big deal. So John left them, right? Does that seem like a big deal to you in this, in this passage? No, it's just two words, right? John left. Okay, now what's really interesting is Paul and Barnabas, they go on for this missionary journey, what you saw in the blue blue lines all the way around on the map. Then they get back to Antioch. They tell everybody what's happened and they get ready to go on a second missionary journey. All right. Makes sense. So they gather up everybody that's going to go with them. And Barnabas, who at the, up until this point, up until this point, Barnabas has been the leader. You guys don't, re, re, you haven't read any books by Barnabas, have you? Have you? Okay. I didn't think so. Yeah. Barnabas, he doesn't write any of the New Testament. But Barnabas is the one that went and got Paul and like discipled him. And then he got him ready to go. And then they go and Paul starts preaching like crazy. Well, John was Barnabas's cousin. And so he wants to bring him along. It makes sense, right? But when they first get ready to go, John bails. Whoa. You know what Paul said when they're getting ready to go again? He's not coming. Barnabas wanted wanted to bring John along. And he wanted to bring John along so strongly that when Paul said he's not coming, do you guys know what happened? Anybody know? Do you know? Can you guess? They separated. That's right. Done. So Paul and Barnabas brought John with them on the first trip. They get to their second stop. John, John leaves. He abandons them. And in Acts 16, we see that that's exactly how Paul saw it. He's, he thought, he said, John's not coming with us. He abandoned us. That's pretty bad, right? And so Barnabas is like, no, it's all right. I want him to come. So how about this? We split up. So Paul gets another guy named Silas, and they go in this, that, they, the rest of the journeys together, and Barnabas takes John, and they go. Okay, now, 
this seems really bad, right? I mean, are Christians, are Christians supposed to reconcile their issues with each other? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I was actually having this situation, I was counseling a situation earlier this week where there's a guy, he's like, man, I know that this other guy has a problem with me. I can tell it. It's, it's tense. I feels bad. And I've tried to apologize. And I don't know what to do. And what, what's, what are you supposed to do in that situation? You have two options, right? One, you can say, oh, I've done everything I can. I don't care. I've tried. So if we're not going to get along, who cares? Or you work it out. And if you ask Jesus what he would do, we actually have words from him. Jesus said that if you are going to worship and you know that your brother has a problem with you, you need to first be reconciled to your brother and then go worship. Now, isn't that crazy? Because he doesn't say if you're going to worship the Lord, he, he says offer a gift at the altar, but that for our context, you're going to worship, like worship God. He doesn't say if you're going to worship and you realize that you have a problem with someone else. He says, if you know that someone else has a problem with you, that your obligation is to go work that out. So what happened here with Paul and Silas? I mean, this is Paul. He's like, he's like the best. He's, he's the best Christian, right? He's the one who wrote a lot of the New Testament. He started all these churches. Well, what we see is really awesome is that they split up and that God used that for his glory. Because we know that in 2 Timothy, which is a letter that Paul is writing to Timothy right before he dies, he says, hey, here's some things. Say hey to these people. Say hey to these people. Bring me my jacket. Bring me something to read. And send send John here. Because he's good. He's good for me. Isn't that awesome? So, I mean, like, what's fascinating is that there are going to be times in the Christian, in your, in your life, where there is going to be conflict, and we need to resolve that, and God will use that for his glory. That's huge, right? Because, again, I think it's really fascinating. Even this whole chapter is talking about God's sovereignty and how he takes everything and works to his good. Even this, this is what's fascinating. So, we're back, so let's go back to, uh, let's go back to Pamphylia, right? That's where we want to be. Oh, Perga and Pamphylia. So here's what happens. On the Sabbath day, they go into the synagogue. All right, we have to time out again here because this is kind of important. They go, into the, uh, they go into the synagogue. Now, do you guys know? Someone tell me what a synagogue is. A Jewish church. Perfect. Best. Great answer. All right. Now, do you guys remember where the Jews lived? Where the Jews live? Jerusalem. They're from, Jews are from right here. This is where Israel is. Right? Jerusalem. That's the capital city. Do you know, so if this is where, <laughs> this is so weird, right? If this is where Jews, if this is where Jews live, where should the Jewish churches be? It seems like they should be right here, right? But where are, where are Paul and Barnabas right now? Yeah, they're in Pamphylia. They're in Turkey. Isn't that crazy? 
There's a Jewish church in Turkey. And do you know how the synagogue got there? This is something that's really fascinating because Paul, in his whole story, when he's talking about the children of Israel, he doesn't mention this. It's because, I mean, he does sum up something, he says, and that took about 450 years. So he's not like, he's not going to give us every detail. You'd have to read all of the Old Testament, right? What's fascinating, and this is, this is something I want us to really think through. This is something that if we're going to, because at the end of the day, what I want you to understand is that God is totally sovereign. He's sovereign even over the sinful choices that we make. And because of that, he is good and we can trust him. That's what I want you to understand. Tonight, I want you to understand that God is good and that we can trust him. And here's the deal, because these are Jewish people. And Jewish people, those are God's people, right? The, The children of Israel, those are God's people. And Paul here is calling God's people to repent, because even though they are meeting in worshiping God, they're not truly worshiping God. Well, that's a big deal, right? Because, and this is, we'll talk about this more tomorrow also, but I mean, if we're going to talk in the New Testament about God's people, we'd say the church. And what you need to understand is that you can be a part of the, of the church. You can have a membership in the church and not be a Christian. You can be a church kid and not be following the Lord. You can be a church kid who needs to be told, now you need to repent and believe. Because this is what's crazy. This is what, uh, there's no way that we can really wrap our mind about how amazingly sovereign God is. Because the way that a, a Jewish synagogue made its way to Turkey is because of Israel's sin and idolatry. Do you know that? Because we'll get into this more tomorrow, but God prepared the promised land, right, for his people. And they go into that promised land. And you know what he told them to do in that promised land? He said, you need to wipe out all of the other nations. You need to wipe them out. Do you know, do you know why God wanted them to wipe out the other nations? That's, that's exactly right. She said, so that they wouldn't get caught up in the, other, in the idolatry of the other nations. And because God is just and God is holy. And these were pagan, these were pagan nations that were worshiping idols. You know, it's crazy because when we think about idolatry in our context, it's like, in fact, I taught at our kids' church last Sunday. We were talking about idolatry. And I, for, for us, idolatry usually takes the form of like money or stuff or some position, or some status. Idolatry for them was actually worshiping idols made of wood and stone. Isn't that crazy? So here's what happened. God gave them their land, told them that they need to wipe out the other nations and and not forget them. And you know what they did? They neither wiped out the other nations nor continued to remember them. They forgot them. And so you know what God did? is God said, okay, so they split into two different nations, was a northern and southern nation, and then God punished his people. And he punished his people nationally. So what happened is in 722 years before Jesus, 722 AD, the Assyrian Empire, which the Assyrian Empire was mainly over here, 
where we can't see. They came in and they, 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 uh, they beat in a war the northern kingdom. And then they took them and deported them. Because they wanted to get them out of their homeland. Because if you have people in their homeland, they want to fight. But if you take them out of their homeland, it totally demoralizes them. And so spread them out. And then in 586, you don't have to remember this, but just somehow it just sticks. In 586, Babylon, which covered all of this and all of this. Isn't that interesting? All this over here was Babylon. And they attacked the southern kingdom. And you know what they did? They deported them. Isn't this crazy? Okay, so if you're wondering, how did synagogues get spread all over? Because if you read through the book of Acts, that's what they do. They find a new city. Where do they go? The synagogue. There are Jewish people scattered all over the world. It was because of their idolatry. They didn't trust God. They worshiped and served idols. God punished them and spread them out. And when he spread them out, they tried to return to him because they realized, oh, we'd messed up. So they started these little places of worship where they would meet together and read God's word. Synagogues. So they would meet and they would worship the true God together. And so what's, what's so amazing is that God uses the idolatry of his people to now spread them out all over the known world so they could start synagogues so that each one of those synagogues could be a springboard for the gospel. Isn't that amazing? And what, it's, I mean, because that's what's crazy to think about. Because God used their idolatry. It wasn't, it wasn't like they were like, oh, well, you know, um, we're, we're just not going to trust and we're just going to do our own thing. No, it wasn't that. Not only, they were worshiping false gods sometimes sacrificing their children on altars to fake gods, building statues of fake gods, and then bowing down and worship to them. And God used that to spread the gospel. We're going to go through just the first bit of this next, this next part, and then, and then we're going to take a break. We're going to talk about it, and then tomorrow morning we're going to come back. Start at, so in verse 16, this is, this is where we see his sermon. So, it says, oh, after they'd read from the law and the prophets, this is what would happen. In a synagogue, they would meet, they would read out of the law and the prophets. Usually they would read something from the law, the first five books of the Bible, and then they'd read some, a passage out of something else. And then they asked uh, Paul there as kind of a guest rabbi, do you have anything you want to say? Isn't that awesome? Because they know he's a, he's a Jewish scholar. And so they're inviting him in a, in a Jewish synagogue they're inviting him to preach, and he preaches the gospel. Isn't that amazing? And he says right here, starting in verse 16, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Now there's two different people here that he's addressing. Who are they? You see it? Two different groups. Men of Israel, good, you guys are doing great. And those who fear God, right? Because there's two different groups of people because, and this is what's awesome. These, these God-fearers, these are people who aren't ethnically Jewish. They're not biologically Jewish. They're not part of the Jewish nation. These are people who had converted to Judaism, who were from other nations, probably 
Pamphylians. Pergamites? I don't know. Gentiles. Non-Jews. I, was, I don't know. I don't know what that. Per, Pergamites. I think Pergamites sounds good. Kind of like, um, what is that stuff? Marmite? You get, has anybody ever been out of the country? Has anybody ever been to England or anything that used to be part of the Commonwealth of England? Have you ever had Marmite? You had Marmite in America? Yeah, right, from British people. Who does he give it to you? Oh, Connor Long. He got it from Harry. Yeah, oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, right, I've got it. If you ever go to a country and they have something called Marmite or something very similar called Vegemite. Has anybody ever had these other than Joseph? You had Vegemite sandwich? Oh, okay. If, if, if somebody tells you this stuff tastes awesome on toast, they are lying. It is. It is. It takes all of, the, all of the moisture out of your mouth so that you can't vomit, but you want to. It's so, anyway, so the Pergamites. So here we are. Back, I'm back in. I'm back in Perga. All right. So, yeah, so these are, and this is what's awesome. From the beginning, you know, God, salvation was for the Jews. God made, he, made, he had a Jewish people. Salvation was for the Jews and through the Jews. God had always, always had a plan for bringing non-Jewish people into covenant fellowship with him. And so here we have them. Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their, during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. Okay, let's time out. Look at the way that he's looking back at history. All right? And you're going to see as we go through the sermon that God chooses somebody for a purpose and then he displaces them and brings somebody else up. And here he says, God chose them. He chose our fathers. Which, do you guys remember the first person that God chose in, to make a nation out of? We sing a song about him. Abraham. Abraham, there you go. <laughs> the hand motions, right? God chose him and made him a great nation. And then it says, and so then Abraham had Isaac and many sons. Many sons had father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Yeah, anyway, so let's just praise. Anyway, uh, sorry. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac, he had Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons. Those are part of his many sons. Jacob actually had more sons. Anyway, it doesn't matter. One of them was a guy named Joseph. Do you guys remember Joseph? Handy coat of many colors. It's wonderful. And Joseph, his family, his brothers loved him. They loved him so much that instead of killing him, they, yeah, they sold him into slavery. In that, it, so if you have trouble with your siblings, just think, at least they're not selling me into slavery. No, but here's what's crazy. Look, 
Okay, we're going to come back to Joseph in just a second. Yep, that's going to distract everyone. All right. I've lost it. I just lost it. All right. We're going to come back to Joseph, right? Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, Joseph, and his 11 brothers. Look at the way that Paul is describing what happens. He says, this God of, this God of, mm, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. Is that ironic? Because what happened to God's people in the land of Egypt? They were slaves. Isn't that fascinating? But what Paul's doing is Paul's stepping back and he's looking and he's seeing this is part of God's plan. God's sovereign and in control. And what, what's crazy is do you know how long they were slaves in Egypt? 400 years. I mean, in fact, what's crazy to me, the craziest thing is that God promised this beforehand. You guys know that? God made a covenant with Abraham and he said, you know what? I am going to, and and remember, Abraham was like a hundred years old, didn't have any kids, couldn't have any kids. His wife was 90. She couldn't have any kids, no kids. And God comes and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You're going to have so many offspring. It's more than the stars in the sky, more than the sand on the sea. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. That part of the promise seems awesome, right? Doesn't it seem awesome? Man, to an old guy who's never had kids? Yeah. And then he says, and I'm going to sell them into slavery for 400 years. And I'm going to bring them out. So from the beginning, God was working it all out. So he could do that. And that's exactly what happened. Because God's people, there was about 70 of them by the, when Joseph came around. About 70 people in their family, which is great, good, good-sized family, right? But they, his brothers sell Joseph into slavery. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a bad thing. That's bad. Oh, so if it's bad, do we sit back and be like, oh man, well, I guess God's just, God's lost control. No. That's what's crazy. When you read the story of of Joseph, and you should, you'll see bad things keep happening to Joseph. He doesn't catch a break. He, and he's just exceptional. And you know why he's exceptional? Because it says that over and over, God was with him. So Joseph, his brothers, they're not with him. He gets sold into slavery. God was with him. Then he becomes like the best slave. This guy named Potiphar, loves him, thinks that he's awesome, says, man, you're in charge of my household. He loves him and his wife loves him more, which was awkward because she made advances to him. And so what he did is he ran, but as he ran, she ripped his clothes off. So you got a young man running naked with a woman holding his clothes saying he tried to assault me. He's out. He gets fired. Not that he doesn't just get fired. He gets thrown in jail. But, you know what scripture says? God was with him. Then he becomes the best prisoner. He's already been the best slave. Now becomes the best prisoner. He's such a good prisoner that the guy who runs, like the warden, says, why don't you just take care of everything? And that's what he does. 
So he runs the jail. He's awesome. And then God's with him. And God takes him from being a, from being a prisoner to basically being vice president of Egypt. And he, and he says, and this is what happens everywhere he goes. Everywhere he goes, the person in charge says, you just be in charge, and I'm just going to sit here. It happened at Potiphar's house, happened in jail, it happened for Egypt. So the Pharaoh says, Joseph's in charge. That seems awesome, right? And then there's a famine. So his brothers come, and they try to get food, and he doesn't hold the fact that they put him in jail against, I mean, sold him into slavery against them. He says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good to bring about the salvation of all these people. And so it seems like everything's perfect, right? And it is until there's a new Pharaoh who makes them slaves. And just like what we see happening in the life of Joseph, we see happening in the, in the people of Israel. The people of Israel put in, they are, they are enslaved. And this isn't like, and for a while, it's actually kind of nice. It's not bad. They're, they're, they're made to work, just like a lot of other Egyptians were made to work. But then the Pharaoh's like, you got, they're getting too big. They're going to take us over. There's so many of them. So let's be as, let's be as mean to them as we can. Let's try to kill their babies. Let's try to kill their grown-ups. Make them, let's make them work so hard under un, such unfair living conditions. And at this point, you think, God's lost control again, but he hasn't. It's all part of his plan. And he, what happens is, God then comes through Moses, and you guys know the story, the, all of the plagues. The plagues make the, people of, make the people of Egypt want the people of Israel to leave so bad that when they finally leave, the people of the Egyptians give their gold and their silver, their money, their livestock. They give this stuff to the people of Israel just so they'd get out of there and go. And you know what he did? God made them great during their stay in Egypt. And it's awesome. It says, so then, and then they led them into the wilderness. He was there for about 40 years. And then he destroyed the nations and gave them their inheritance. And this, this is where we're going to stop. Because we're going to come back. At, we're going to come back to this tomorrow. But what we need to see in all of this, what we need to see, is that God is totally sovereign. The reason why this is so important in our time and for us right now, two reasons. One is because the world that we live in is going crazy. I don't know if you guys have paid attention, watched the news once in the past eight months. It's going crazy, and you know what? Even Christians, Christians are freaking out. Christians are freaking out and overreacting as if we didn't trust that God was in control. Because here's the deal, you know, and I'm, you know, I watched some of the vice presidential debate last night. I care about what's happening. I care about who's going to get elected president. But you know what? Somebody is going to be elected president next month. Somebody is. And God is still in control. It doesn't matter which one of those guys gets elected, which I do think it's terrible that these are the two best people that America has to offer. Like, these, this is what we've got going for us. It's a sad world we live in. But you know what? What's happening right now? God's in control of it. You know, we think about, well, there's this, what about this huge pandemic we've gone through? Well, sure. 
We live in a fallen world. Let me tell you this right now. Every one of us is going to die. Right? That's going to happen. And as long as this world is still a fallen world, there are going to be diseases and people are going to get sick and some of the people that get sick are going to die. It's just going to happen. But if we get too focused on the craziness around us, we're going to be trying to look for anybody to be a savior other than God. And that's what we need to understand. That as we look through, I mean, and that's what's awesome, because we can look back. As Christians, we can look back. Joseph can look back and say, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Paul can look back and he can say, oh, you know what? God made his people great during their stay in Egypt. Was it slavery? Was it rough? Was it terrible? Yes, but God was totally and completely in control. And that's what we need to understand is this. We need to understand that regardless of what's happening in the world around us, God is sovereign. God is in control. And we can trust him because he's good. But it's not going to happen unless we are actually submitting to him. That's why we see over and over in the New Testament stuff like cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He's the God of peace. He wants to give you that. And he wants to give you that in your life now. He also wants to give you that for eternity. Because for just like we have Paul here preaching to the Jews to be God's people, some of us need to hear that. Some of you need to hear, man, I'm a church kid, but I'm not one of God's people. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray for us, and then um, Adam is going to lead us in a song together, and then we're going to go into a time of share groups. I think uh, Kevin's already got your groups set up. We're going to go into a time of share groups, and I want you to talk about this. Talk about how, what does it mean when we say that God is sovereign? And what does it mean to trust him? What does that look like for me to trust him today?